Well, we now begin diving into Christological prophecies or plain old Christological shadows in the Deuterocanon, in the Old Testament, but in particular in the Deuterocanonical books. And it will be a series of shows, series of videos, series of courses. We're going to have a lot of fun. And what we're going to do as we go through this course series is we will examine the text. We will look at the prophecy or the shadow, Christological as it will be, and then we'll look at the early church fathers' commentaries to show that the early church fathers, when they preached this from the pulpit, they were preaching the exact same thing that we are putting forth today, that the church teaches today that was taught from all ages. Indeed, we're going to, today, we're going to look at the book of Baruch, chapter 3, and the book of Sirach, chapter 45, Ecclesiasticus, chapter 45, and then we'll look at early church fathers' commentaries. We realize eh, some are a little bit easy to find, some are much more difficult, much harder to find. We've got a ton, plenty of them for you, including very difficult to find ones on Sirach 45. We'll look at the text, then dive into the early church fathers. Truly is incredible. Now, the book of Baruch, as we know, was included, indeed, all of the Deuterocanonical books. Here's something we've got to be very clear about. Every Deuterocanonical book, every single one, was included in every single early church council where the church gathered and discussed the contents of sacred scripture, never lacking, not from a single early council, not even one. I want to really emphasize that point for you today, not ever lacking. And now we've got the book of Baruch, very rich passage here. And in the book of Baruch, as the early fathers interpreted this, we're going to be able to, be, we're going to begin right around here. There is none that is able to know her ways, nor that can search out her paths. But he that knoweth all things knoweth her, and hath found her with his understanding. Now, again, as we will look at later, this is speaking of wisdom. This is speaking of wisdom, and, and you're going to realize, you're going to see in a moment how this is connected as this talks about wisdom. It's important because, look, and because they had not wisdom, they perished through their folly. Who hath gone up into heaven? And taken her and brought her down from the clouds. This is talking about wisdom. As we'll see in a moment, only the Son of Man, the Messiah, is in full possession of wisdom. Only Almighty God is in full possession of wisdom. But that will be for our Christology course, too, to look at the ascension. Yes, shadows of the ascension in the Deuterocanon. But again, that is for our Christology course, too. So, who hath passed over the sea and found her and brought her preferably to chosen gold. There is none that is able to know her ways, nor that can search out her paths. But he that knows all things, so he that knows all things, is in full possession of wisdom. He's personifying wisdom. The almighty God, Yahweh, is the only one that is in full possession of wisdom. Knoweth her, and hath found her out with his understanding. He that prepared the earth forevermore, and filled it with cattle and four-footed beasts, so Almighty God, very clearly, this is talking about Almighty God, is the only one who truly, truly is in full possession of wisdom. But let's go forward. He that sendeth forth light, and it goeth, and hath called it, and it obeyeth him with trembling. And the stars have given light in their watches, and rejoiced. They were called, and they said, here we are, and with cheerfulness they have shined forth to him, and made them. This is our God. 
So this is God. We already knew this. And there shall be no other be accounted of in comparison of him. He found out all the way of knowledge. Remember, he's in full possession of wisdom. And gave it to Jacob, his servant, and to Israel, his beloved. Afterwards, he was seen upon earth. Whoa. And conversed with men. Look at the footnote. Was seen upon earth. By the mystery of the incarnation, by means of which the Son of God came visibly amongst us and conversed with men, the prophets often speak of things to come as if they were past, to express the certainty of the, the event of the things foretold. It's a clear prophecy in the book of Baruch. It's, it's truly an amazing one because he was seen upon the earth. This is clearly referring to the incarnation. And the Catholic will tell you that. You're going to hear this preach from Mass at the pulpit. And a Catholic, rightly so, is going to tell you that that is the ancient interpretation of the text. But, you know, a Catholic can't merely say this is the ancient interpretation of the text without backing it up. you got to have something to back it up. Is there anything to back it up? And in order to back that up, we look at what the early church fathers had to say from the earliest of times. And we do that, and we emphasize, as you go forth in these Christological videos, to do us a huge favor and to comment down below, leave a message, hit like, share, subscribe, and buy our books in the Deuter Canon. There'll be links down below. If you haven't gotten them yet, where we talk about all these things, including our brand new book, which has been endorsed by some of the top scholars on the planet, including the top Protestant scholar in the world. You link right down there, we can get a hold of our book. And we begin by looking at the great Saint Irenaeus. The great Irenaeus, Bishop of Lyon, taught and trained by Bishop Polycarp, who was taught and trained by the Apostle St. John. What an incredible lineage of apostolic succession that we've got right here in the great St. Irenaeus of Lyon. Magnificent connection there. And Irenaeus of Lyon well, is going to provide an incredible, incredibly early interpretation, indeed, of to show that as early as the 100s, you've got this book being utilized exactly how we said it would be utilized. Irenaeus says, Wherefore, also Jeremiah said concerning her, i.e. wisdom, who hath gone up into heaven and taken her and brought her down from the clouds, who hath gone over the sea, found her, and will bring her for choice gold. There's none other that found her way, nor any that comprehendeth her path. But he that knoweth all things knoweth her by his understanding. He that prepareth the earth evermore hath filled it with four-footed beasts. He that sendeth forth the light, and it goeth. He called it, and it obeyed him with fear. The stars shined in their watches and were glad. He called them, and they said, here we be. They shined with gladness unto him that made them. This is our God, St. Irenaeus quotes from Baruch. There shall none other be accounted of in comparison with him. He hath found every way by knowledge, and hath given it unto Jacob his servant, and to Israel that is beloved of him. Afterward, did he appear upon earth and was conversant with men. Now, I want to be very clear. We're going to eventually get to some early fathers, and we're not going to read the passage in Baruch oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, tons of times more. Indeed, we're simply going to show how it quotes from Baruch 3 uh, to show you that this is what it's being referred to. We don't want to uh, you know, quote it over and over and over again and get you a little bit sick of it and hearing it. 
uh, even though we should never get sick of hearing incredibly beautiful words of Holy Writ, though we continue. This is a book of the commandments of God and of the law which endures forever. All they that hold it fast are appointed to life, but such as leave it shall die. Now, Jacob and Israel, he means the son of God, who received power from the father over our life, after having received this, brought it down to us who were far off from him, when he appeared on earth and was conversant with men, mingling and mixing the spirit of God, the father, with a creature formed by God, that man might be after the image and likeness of God. It's incredibly early. Irenaeus writing the early uh, latter part of the 100s, still it's incredibly early, second century, very early. And then we, we've got Athenagoras, the great bishop Athenagoras in his plea for Christians, chapter 9, and his testimonies of the prophets, written in the early 100s as well. Yeah, probably around the mid-100s, maybe later 100s. This is our God, and there shall be no other be accounted of in comparison of him. And he quotes exactly from Baruch 3.36. So two incredibly early witnesses already to show you that this interpretation, this interpretation is not modern, and indeed the early church fathers, many of whom went to their martyrdom defending the faith, those that were taught and trained by the apostles, those that knew the faith better than any of us, are utilizing Baruch as a prophecy that was fulfilled by our incarnate Lord and Savior, by Christ. Hippolytus of Rome against Noetus, writing around what between 170 and 236. This is incredibly already yet another one. Indeed, you've got an anti-Nicene father here. We're not in the apostolic church era, but we are in the anti-Nicene era, right outside the realm of the apostolic fathers. Incredibly early, he's a saint, Saint Hippolytus of Rome. And he says, but they make use also of other testimonies and say, thus it is written, this is our God. There shall be none other be accounted of in comparison of him. He hath found out all the way of knowledge and hath given it unto Jacob, his servant. So what I find incredible is that as you go through early church history, as you are told today by Catholic apologists, by scholars, as you hear at Mass, this is a prophecy that was prophesied of our Lord, of our incarnate Lord and Savior. And had you lived back then in the 100s, 200s, 300s, and onward, you know, from the very beginning, the deuterocanonical books are part of the Bible. They are part of the sacred scripture from the very beginning, never ever lacking in council after council after council. They're never missing. Um, when the councils dialogue, I, I know not every single council, I refer to all the councils that gathered and discussed the contents of sacred scripture. So had you attended Mass back then and heard any of these amazing sermons, you would have heard them preach from the pulpit, utilizing these deuterocanonical books, and not only merely utilizing them, but quoting them as holy read as sacred scripture, and quoting them as containing Christological truths, Christological prophecies. If you want to deepen your understanding of Christology, if you want to deepen your understanding of the Christological text, you look to the Deuterocanon. Just like you say, well, in the Old Testament, there are either direct appearances or references to the Lord or prophecies. Well, 
The Deuterocanon is not like it's separated in some other world in a lower status. No, it is part of the Old Testament, not apart as in separated, but part of the Old Testament. So rightly so, you're going to have prophecies there. Hippolytus of Rome confirms that. Hilary Poitiers, hammer of Arian heretics, incredible early church father, one of the greatest early fathers, St. Hilary Poitiers, great defender of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, says, as you have listened already to Moses and Isaiah, so listen now to Jeremiah inculcating the same truth as they. Then he quotes from Baruch chapter 3, 36 to 38, a direct quote. A direct quote, the great St. Cyril of Jerusalem, whose amazing catechetical lectures, whose amazing catechetical lectures are filled with magnificent theology, filled with incredible theology. And we know that the book of Baruch and Jeremiah were very often rolled up together in the ancient church. So many times they're going to have them quoting from it as if it is the book of Baruch, because they were combined, they were rolled up together. I mean, they only lends even more so to its credibility as a biblical book. It was viewed as such a holy, magnificent work. And the catechetical lectures, which give instruction to the faithful on teachings of the faith, not beginner level only, you know, he goes very deep theologically. And some of the richest Christology in the early church you're going to get from the great St. Cyril. You're going to find it in him, even though you don't often hear of him being uh, a master Christologist, probably because he gets overshadowed by the great St. Cyril, who was the prime mover of Ephesus 431. So the other Cyril at times tends to get forgotten about, but he's also a master Christologist and applies his prophecy like the other early fathers before and after him. To our Lord. And wouldst thou know that he was begotten, referring to the Son, of the Father, and afterwards became man, his God. Hear the prophet saying, so he applies Baruch 3, 36 to 38 to our Lord. Very significant there. That is significant, considering we don't want to overlook the great St. Cyril, master Christologist. The great St. Augustine, bishop and doctor of the church, prime mover of the North African Code, which is the Hippo, the Council of Hippo in Carthage, 393-397, the master Christologist, the master defender of the Deuterocan. Incredible theology tells us. And what Jeremiah says of wisdom plainly applies to Christ. Jacob delivered it to his son. And Israel to his chosen one, afterwards he appeared on earth. Look at that, he's quoting directly from it. Afterwards he appeared on earth and conversed with men. In his contrafaustum, he just tells you directly, this is this is about Christ. It, it's, it's applied to Christ, which he yeah, cuts to the chase, gets right to the point. Yeah, it's, it's applied to Christ. We, we agree with you, great Augustine. And we love that Augustine multiple times throughout his life, revisits Baruch 3, never changes his mind on the canonical pedigree of it, on the biblical pedigree of it, and we love that about the great Augustine. He tells us in City of God, he found out all the way of knowledge, referring to Baruch 3, and Baruch 3, 
and David to Jacob his servant, and to Israel his beloved. Afterwards, he was seen upon earth and conversed with men. Some critics attribute this passage not to Jeremiah, but to the scribe Baruch. The more prevailing opinion ascribes it to the former. Further, Jeremiah says of Christ, Behold the days, saith the Lord. Remember, we very often would find this book bound up together as one book in the early church. And there's nothing wrong with that. St. John Chrysostomos, the golden mouth one, master Greek scholar, master Greek theologian, master Greek early church father. Uh, I mean, you're going to get some of the richest Christology, some of the richest theology from the great St. John Chrysostom. And he tells us, it is ordained that not only we human beings, but also the angels, the archangels, the celestial nations, and all we who are on earth give praise. Bless the Lord, it says, all you works of his. His good works are no small achievement. Rather, they exceed all speech, intellect, and human understanding. The prophets announce these things every day. Notice, he's talking about things that are prophetic. Each in various ways, publishing this splendid triumph. One says, you've gone up on high, you've led captivity captive, and you have received gifts among people. And the Lord, strong and powerful in battle. And another says, he will divide the spoils of the strong. For this is why he came, in order to announce freedom to the prisoners and the recovery of sight to the blind. And raising aloud the cry of victory against over death, he said, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, grave, is your sting? And another in its turn, announcing good news of the most profound peace, said they will forge their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And while one invokes Jerusalem, saying, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, because your king comes to you, meek riding on a beast of burden, a young colt. Here's one thing I want to pause for a moment. We're right here. What gets lost here, because I don't have every reference written down there, is the, the amazing golden mouth one known for his incredible preaching is quoting tons of scripture here over and over combining proto-canonical texts and then he look he includes the reference to baruch right there another remember he's talking about prophets actual prophecies another proclaims his second coming thus saying the lord whom you seek will come and who will abide the day of his coming? Who will abide? Leap as calves set free from their bonds. And another again, amazed at such similar events, said, this is our God. No other will be compared with him. Directly quoting from the book of Baruch. That we've got it right there. In his homilies in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 99. Which I'm not sure if you can find online. Maybe you can. I know some of these commentaries are very difficult to get a hold of. They are very hard, and some are not available um, very readily online. Uh, some uh, are found in dusty old books, and uh, some are difficult to find. As we go forward in this series, you will find that brand new and fresh translations are being provided by us just for you. Olympiador Sadiqin, translated from the Patologia Grece, 93, Fragments on Baruch. Alexandrian deacon from the 500s, probably a figure that you haven't heard a whole lot about, right? Probably a figure that you, you, you're probably scratching your head and saying, I have not heard a whole lot about this guy. Well, now you have. Now you have. He quotes from Baruch extensively 
And notice Baruch 3.39, which if this is applied to our Lord, the whole of the context is, who has gone up into the sky, into the heavens, and brought her down from the heavens. According to what is written, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and having loved us, he bowed the heavens and came down, applying this to God. So this is very clearly a prophecy. And indeed, Olympia Doris the deacon is an important figure, even though he's not, you don't hear about him very often. It is important that we read this and we dive in and we show, hey, yet another example of the fact that in the early church, look, this is incredible. We went from the early 100s. We looked into the late 100s. We looked into the 300s, we're looking to the 400s, we're in the 500s now. And these are giants in the early church, whether deacons or priests or, you know, titan bishops, you know, and, and no, no slouches either. These are really, really important figures. We now move to the book of Sirach or Ecclesiasticus to check out a pretty credible prophecy. This is a pretty good one. This was great. Well, maybe, maybe not, maybe not a prophecy, excuse me but a truth of an occurrence, an event, an incredibly historical event in the Old Testament that occurred. And indeed, very important because what we're gonna look at from the book of Sirach, I think it really does need to be emphasized because people, you know, people may read the Deuterocanonical text and we hope you're reading them more and more, but maybe at times, maybe sometimes you don't realize what you're reading and how important it is. But let's look at let's look at this. Let's dive in a little deep. Sirach 45. And was beloved by God and people. Moses, whose memory is blessed. Now, this is going to be important because stop and think about the event that is being spoken of here. Because if we don't focus on what the event is, then we're going to lose sight of what's being spoken of here. Because the book of Sirach is telling us that there's a certain individual, a certain person who dialogued with Moses on Mount Sinai. He made him equal in glory to the holy ones and made him great to the terror of his enemies. By his words, he performed swift miracles. The Lord glorified him in the presence of kings. He gave him commandments for his people. Oh, okay. So the Lord... The Lord glorified him in the presence of kings. He gave him commandments for his people and revealed to him his glory. Okay. For his faithfulness and meekness, he consecrated him, choosing him out of all humankind. He allowed him to hear his voice and led him into the dark cloud and gave him the commandments face to face. Well, we know. We know very well that this is referring to the Logos. The Logos, our Lord, conversed with Moses on Mount Sinai. So the book of Sirach, which was written probably about 200 years before Christ, tells us it was our Lord. It was the Logos that conversed with Moses. He let, allowed him to hear his words and led him into the dark cloud, and gave him the commandments face to face, the law of life and knowledge, so that he might teach Jacob the covenant and Israel his decrees.
incredible. Now, there's there are not a whole lot of commentaries written on the book of Sirach, on the book of Ecclesiasticus. There's more on Tobit and Judith, much more on wisdom, the wisdom of Solomon. Not a whole lot on Sirach. But we have we find we encounter a rich commentary from Urbanus Maurus, likely written in the 800s, the early 800s. He was a Frankish Benedictine priest, great theologian. He was an archbishop. He eventually would become an archbishop. So that's very, very important to remember. Very, very important to remember. And indeed, he he writes a good amount. By the way, he is Saint, Saint Rabanus. Uh, I know the little bit of criticism he does get, the, the, actually the only criticism that I can think of him getting is unfair in the sense that he wrote later in history and he didn't write around the time of Augustine. I mean, he couldn't, couldn't help when he was born, couldn't help when he lived, but he's a great writer, wrote some fantastic works, indeed known as a fantastic Christologist. He's very famous for having written a beautiful Christ, the fair glory of the holy angels. Uh, it's a hymn that he authored, uh, and it's very, very beautiful, magnificent. A little bit difficult to get that English translation, as far as I know, in in totality, in, in, in its original form in English, as far as I know. But Rabanus Maras, who you don't tend, he's not a household name when it comes to early church fathers, provides this great Christology hymn. In quoting the Book of Sirach, in providing commentary, he says, it is certain that his faith and his meekness made holy and acceptable to God, the one who was chosen by the divine providence to govern all. While the sons of Israel listened, the Lord gave him the law on Mount Sinai. So it's talking about the Lord giving the law to Moses. He provides that interpretation. The Lord gave him the law on Mount Sinai. Look at this, and establish the precepts of life, speaking with him in the cloud, so that he would teach his people and instruct them in how to live justly. And though he would symbolize many things at different times, by the fact that he brought the people of God out of Egypt to the waters of the Red Sea and led them through the desert, while the cloud guided and indicated the way, he is the image of the law. Look at this. Under the guidance of Christ, Christ is the Lord. Christ is the Lord that gave him the law on Mount Sinai. Under the guidance of Christ, the law freed the faithful from the spiritual Egypt and from the power of the true Pharaoh by the waters of baptism. So that in the desert of this world, instructed and taught by the divine precepts, they would reach the promised land the heavenly homeland, where they will have every good thing in abundance and will enjoy eternal life. Rabanus Maurus, who we, we have to shine this spotlight on him because he doesn't get a lot of attention for being a masterful and a great Christologist. And indeed he was. People tend to think of this period in church history as a, a, a quiet or a, a dead period in terms of Christology and Mariology. And we need to be very clear, it's not. Just mainly, maybe, maybe a lot of the writings are tough to get a hold of, and they are. But indeed, you're thinking around the time of the six, seven, eight hundreds. I mean, you've got the six hundreds and the eight, seven hundreds, the eight hundreds, you've got great theology going on. 
the masterful St. John uh, of Damascus, St. John Damascene, the great St. Germanus of Constantinople, Rabanus Maurus, St. Rabanus Maurus. And, you know, I can go on and on. No shortage of examples, but people tend to not think of them as household names or really even think of them at all because they are rather late. They are rather late. Some of them, I mean, St. John Damascene, it may be a little bit late, but he's still accounted of very often as the last of the early church fathers. The golden age, if you will, the patristic era, right at the very end of it. But either which way, an important figure to look at. So we've gone through, and this is this was fun, wasn't it? Whether you want to look at this as a course or when you want whether you want to look at this as a class or a video or what have you. We hope you've been edified. This is the first in a series of, of videos of Christology and the Deuterican. And if you are watching this right now, then of course you have access likely to part two. Uh, well, not likely, for sure you have access to part two. And others that will be coming soon. Before three, four, and five air, we will have part one and two debut also in Spanish. That's correct. Spanish video is coming to this channel. The only channel in the world, in the world where you're going to find videos dedicated exclusively to the Deuter Canon with top-notch scholarly material, new translations at times, and you're going to find them in English and in Spanish. So stay tuned if you haven't checked the Spanish one out yet. Again, your support is the reason we can even do this. Without your support and your help, either by being a patron or a member, we wouldn't be able to produce these videos. Your support helps us afford theological books and manuals that are very expensive. Very expensive. They are not free. They're not handed to us for free because the authors, those that translate them, they need to earn money to feed themselves and feed their families as well. So thank you for helping us out. And hopefully we've been able to help you out spiritually growing your faith. If you've been edified, please let us know down below. Let me know. Let Gary know. Let David no, because we are a team here at the Apocrypha Apocalypse, and we we work together, we consult together, we are indeed a team. Pray for us, pray that the Lord keep us together for many, many years. Pray for us, pray for our families. We're praying for you, and we love you. That is why we're pumping out these videos. We want you to be edified, and we want to draw you closer to the faith, the apostolic faith, the fullness of the faith that can only be found in the ancient Catholic and apostolic church. God bless you. God keep you. Thank you for tuning in.